Here we go. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. We have been in a series of teaching out of the book of Acts called History Comes Home. And just to be very brief, if you've not been here, the goal is to take the stories of the historical Jesus and meld them into the resurrected Jesus that presents himself into our life. Because Jesus is more than just a historical figure. He is alive and well, and he dwells on the inside of his people. He makes his home in our heart. I want you to say this word with me, if you will. If you're a note taker, you can start it out with this word. It's powerful. I want you to say freedom. Freedom. There is a misnomer in the kingdom of God and in the thinking of a lot of Christians that we don't really believe we can be free. We kind of just assume that I'm not free, I'm just better. Meaning I still have my addictions, I still have my weaknesses, I still have all of my little sin issues. And then we say, well, you just had to put up with me because that's the way I am. You just have to tolerate me. And, and then you know that old bumper sticker, hey, be patient with me, God is not done with me yet. Anybody ever remember that one? Be patient with me, God's not done with me yet. And I understand that because all of us are on a journey and all of us are at different places in our faith. But I do want you to know that Jesus himself has an expectation of your freedom. Jesus never assumed nor did he ever allude that the work he would do for you would still leave you bound by the things of the earth. The work he would do for you would be so powerful that it would free you from every bondage the earth could bring to you. That's why, that's why Christianity was so different. The reason Christianity was different than most other religions is, if, especially if you're Greek mythology and you like to study that and read it out, every other religion that came along, humans were always scratching, pawing at the ground, trying to get to the level of the God, to appease that God through offerings, through sacrifices. You know, in Greek mythology, the gods would come down, mate with humans, and then they would have offspring called the Titans. And those offspring would, you know, be these giant heroes. But you never saw anywhere in that theology where the God actually came down and lived on the inside of those humans. They were always very separate until Jesus comes along and teaches something very different that even to the religious head today, it's even a foreign concept that we talk about it. We say things like this if we're Christians, well, Jesus lives in my heart. But to really say that, you're literally meaning that the God that created the heaven and the earth dwells and lives on the inside of you. But yet so many times we believe that mentally, but we don't live it out experientially. I believe that mentally because at VBS they told me if I prayed that prayer, Jesus would live in my heart. But I don't live it out experientially. I happened to grow up in a home that made it very experiential to me. 
Because when I was in high school, my mother would often say, Hey, I don't know what your plans are tonight, but just know that wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. I didn't like that. I like that when I go, the Holy Spirit stays at the house and waits on me to come back. Because what I had planned, I didn't think would really make God that happy. But she would always say, hey, just know wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. And as I'm walking out the door, she would always allude again, and he speaks to me. And he will tell me. (laughs) Some of you didn't catch that. And he will tell me what you do. And I thought, she's just maybe a little off her rocker. I don't know. But it was true. She literally taught me about a God that was so involved in our home. He cared about everything I did. He cared about what I did on Friday night with my girlfriend. He wanted to free me up. And I didn't really know how to live freedom because growing up when I was in high school, I quote, had the high school love affair. You know, I'm falling in love with this girl. And so on Friday night, I would go out with my friends and get drunk and typically my girlfriend and I would hook up and if you don't know what that means in the lingo, that means we would have sex and then I would come to church on Sunday and feel so guilty, like just terrible because I would just feel like, man, I've let God down again and I would always cry at the youth, you know, I was in the youth group and I would come and say, man, I've blown it, I hope God forgives me and then I would come and I'd say to God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and please forgive me. I I promise I'll try not to do it again. And then you know how that story goes. The next Friday night, same friends, same football guys. Uh, We go get our brew, we get our beer, I get drunk, I hang out with them, I get my girlfriend and repeat the process over and over and over and over and over. Very accustomed to, God knows I'm going to blow it. I'm going to come and ask him to forgive me. I'm going to go blow it again because he knows I'm human. I'm going to come ask him to forgive me. I'm going to blow it again because he knows I'm a human. Can I ask him to forgive me? And that process could go on and on because you would say, well, how often will he forgive you as much as I ask him? He says in one scripture, I'll forgive you 70 times 7. That's 490 times in one day. I averaged it out if you stay awake about 16 hours. He forgives you about every two minutes. you got to really be a nasty person to need forgiveness every two minutes. (laughs) but he forgives you and he never turns you away you just come again and again and again and every time you come he's going to go of course I forgive you but usually I don't stay long enough to say how can I find freedom I just say forgive me and oh you know I'm this way and so just love me anyway Jesus because I'm going to go out and fail again because I'm a human and we all know humans fail So then I'm going to come back and ask forgiveness again, but you all know we're humans and I'm going to keep failing again. And you can't expect much out of me, God, because I am a human. And you just love me like I am. And and I have no problem with that. He does. He loves me like I am. He loves you like you are. But I do want to tell you, in that love, he has an expectation that this process stops repeating itself. Because the death he died for you wasn't just to forgive you, it was to free you. Because I, I can find you know, emotional forgiveness, but I can't find freedom apart from God. So to the lustful guy, the guy, me, the guy that struggles with lust, uh, whether that played out with a girlfriend or whether it played out with pornography or stuff, you know, lust after stuff, 
to come back and go, okay, God, forgive me again. And God goes, okay, Mark, yes, I do. Be cleansed, my son, go. Oh, by the way, sin no more. Hey, thanks, God, but you know I probably will because I'm human. There's a story in John 8 that when he comes to the adulterous woman is in front of him, he does say to her after he forgives her and says, look, I don't condemn you, he throws this phrase in, oh, by the way, sin no more. We all know, every, I hope you do, everybody in this room knows that's impossible. Like, go and sin no more. But I do want you to understand, in that moment of time when Jesus said it to the adulteress, go and sin no more, he knew it was impossible for that woman to accomplish that because he had not died yet. But after Jesus died, the expectation was... The fruit does not matter to me because that's what he was dealing with. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's just dealing with the fruit of people. He's dealing with sins and issues, but he never dealt with the root. Luke chapter 6 verse 43 says, Oh, if you really want to know a person, look at the fruit because the fruit will tell you what the root of their life is. So when I keep coming back to God, forgive me because I slept with my girlfriend. Forgive me because I got drunk. Forgive me again. Forgive me again. And he keeps taking that bad fruit and goes, good, here, thank you for that fruit, Mark. We'll throw it over here in the trash. Okay, thank you for that fruit. I'll throw it over here in the trash. Oh, by the way, Mark, my heart is not to keep taking your bad fruit and throwing it in the trash for you. My heart is to go deeper than the fruit. And my heart is to go down to your root, Mark. Because that's what I want to change. Because Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit and and you know fruit by the root of the tree. So here's what I know. This may help you study the Bible. The New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was dealing with the fruit. Go and sin no more. Stop. I'll heal you, you. Forgive you, you, and you, and you. But the moment he died at Calvary, the moment... He gave up himself. The moment the Spirit of God resurrected him, now there's a possibility to change the root in people. And what we have is people who get stuck in the Gospels. I'm not saying they're bad. I love the Gospels. It's part of the Bible. But we get stuck in a Gospel mentality. I just want to run to Jesus with all my garbage, let him pet me on the head, anoint me with oil, and tell me it's okay to keep being me. And then I want to run out here and keep being me. But the moment Christ died, there came an expectation that change was not only expected of you, it was possible now. It is possible to be free. It is possible to have struggled with pornography for 20 years and finally get free. It's possible in your marriage to have a hellacious marriage and finally find, man, there's freedom for us. I don't have to just eek by in this life waiting on the sweet by and by to come and Jesus to take me off this ill-gotten, God-forsaken planet. The power of the gospel. Now here's why book of Acts is so important. The book of Acts transitions us from fruit into the root has been changed and now there is an expectation of different fruit. That is the entire rest of the epistles, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. All of those books don't deal with sinners. They deal with believers who are trying to live it out. Occasionally you may see a scripture in there about sin and stuff, but all the way from the book of Acts to the end of the Bible, it's dealing with believers who are trying to live this thing out. 
They're trying to live out the freedom. And yet every book you read, Corinthians, Romans, every one of them you read, you find that the struggle is real. Come on, say the struggle is real. And you would admit it as well as me, as much as I love Jesus, the struggle is real. The lust is still there at times. The the opportunity to fail, the opportunity to just go, well, it is what it is. Honey, Robin, it is what it is. Just deal with it. That's me. I just, I'm that way. But the moment we said yes to one another 29 years ago, there came an expectation. And the expectation was, Mark, the moment you said yes to me, um, I need to expect now that you're not just lusting all the time. I need to expect now that you're married to me that you're not addicted to porn anymore. I need to expect now that you're married to me you're not just going to go sleep around with women. You see, there was a natural expectation that when I said I love you, there came the expectation, then live like a man who loves me. Talk to me right. Take time with me. Spend time with me. Don't cheat on me. Don't. Now, if that's possible in a marriage that she has natural expectations because I'm her husband and she my wife, then does it seem odd that God himself, when he marries himself to me, would have expectations to say, oh, I'm expecting you to be different. And yet what I see happening in American Christianity, at least in my sphere and circles of what I encounter, is that there is this very gospel-centered mentality that says, Jesus just loves me like I am, and and it doesn't matter what you think, meaning uh, I'm just going to keep producing rotten fruit because he knows I'm rotten and there's no expectation for me to be any different. And, and yet what I read in the Bible is there's very much an expectation for us to be different. I asked us to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 last week, and man, does it burn. Whew. I read it, and it's just like, man, this stings so bad. But the reason it matters to God, because this is where we left off last week, your personal character, your choices, your lifestyle, your decisions matter to God. Not because it's necessarily a heaven or hell issue. Like, Mark, do you mean if I get drunk, I'm not going to go to heaven? Do you mean if I fight? Do you mean if I still struggle with porn, I won't make it into heaven? It's not about a heaven or hell issue. It's about an expectation that he has for you to be free. You can be free. That's what I want you to go out of here today. You can be free. You don't have to keep living the addictions. And maybe that's medicine. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it's anger. I don't, maybe it's fear, anxiety, frustrations. But I do know what I read in the Bible, though I may not see it experientially as much. But what I do read in the Bible, there is an expectation for Mark Evans to finally be free. Where I don't have to keep coming to God going, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I'm just a lowly worm. Step on me, God, and watch me squirm. Poor little sinner me. What I read in the Bible is the sinner me died at the cross with Jesus and was resurrected with Jesus, a brand new me. And now the problem is not the sinner me. The problem is the old me wants to keep tagging along. The old me wants to keep being part of the scenario. The old me wants to be part of the love relationship with me and God. Because we all know sometimes it really is hard to give up your addiction. Sometimes it is hard to give up the things that you've so tolerated for years. And we make excuses for it. Just deal with it. Get over it. Whatever we use. So turn in your Bible 
Because I'm coming from the scripture in the book of Acts, you shall be witnesses, Acts 1.8. And it's very difficult to witness a live, living God when your life is consistently always broken. Like, he's alive, okay, but 20 years later, shouldn't you be free? If we really believe he's alive. So I want to take you two places today and then leave you to read some passages this week coming and, and my goal is, is to take these two things today. You can be free from the things that consistently come back that you're praying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You can find freedom. But I don't want to just tell you that. I want to teach you how to get there. Because it took me quite a while. It took me quite a while. As a matter of fact, if I'm just honest with you, it doesn't take much for the old Mark to try to creep back up and go, well, hello, I'm back. And I have to constantly put down the flesh of, you know, things that aren't right, the ways we act, the ways we think, maybe even things we watch. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to read it. We ask you to read the whole thing this week. Uh, those of you that were here, we take a passage out of the Bible every week and we read it together and I comment on it during the week and we ask you to get it together. It's 20 verses long. I just want to read it and then make a comment and then tell you how to find freedom. But I want you to listen to the expectations that are on us as believers. This is not written to sinners. It's written to people who met Jesus, who were filled with his power, but who still struggled to find freedom. So that's the way I want you to hear it. These are believers who in some way have met Christ, live his power, but they're struggling to find the freedom, and Paul's going to address it. And he addresses it with, there's a lot of going on in their church. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who's wise enough to decide these issues, but instead one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers? Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, commit adultery, male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. This is probably my favorite verse. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. Do you get that? There's hope for you. He's alluding to everybody has a problem. Let's don't pick on each other here. And it's different for all of us. Some of you may struggle with one thing, another with other. But what he does want you to say is, well, there, that can be the old you. You used to be that way. In other words, you don't have to continue the process anymore. And then he lays out three ways. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, I want you to underline this phrase, and by the Spirit of God. Leave that up there because I want you to look at that last line. This is how it works. First, I call on Jesus. 
And when I call on him, he forgives me of everything. He holds not one thing against me. Every fault of mine, he no longer credits it to my account. He totally and completely, 100% says, Mark, I hold zero against you. I don't care how bad you think it is. I don't care how much you think it's put you off from me. There's nothing you could do, Mark, that would ever keep you from calling out to me and I answer. So you want to keep coming a thousand times to the altar saying, forgive me? Yes, I will do it every single time. And every time you come, I won't think any less of you. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to condemn you. There's no condemnation in me. But I am going to enlighten you with something, Mark. When I died for those sins, you keep confessing. When I gave myself for those faults of yours that caused me to love you regardless, that caused me to forgive you over and over and over again, and never one time, Colossians chapter 1, 2 and 3, never one time will I hold one fault against you. That's some doggone good love. I love that about him. But then it says, and by the Spirit of God. Because when this Jesus died, he didn't just go to heaven and go, hey, thumb up, I'll see you in a couple of thousand years. Good luck down here on this hell-forsaken planet. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit. John chapter 14, you don't have to be an orphan. You don't have to be alone. I'm going to teach you, guide you, lead you, and train you through my Holy Spirit. So now I find that the goal is not just to call on Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. The goal is to understand the moment I call, his spirit moves on the inside of me. And now I go into training. I go into, I used to be one way, but he's teaching me to live a different way. I used to be a jerk, but he's teaching me not to be one anymore. I used to be addicted to porn and all the trigger points that would cause me to go back that way. You know what I mean by trigger points. You're doing really good and then something triggers and you go back to the old set of ways. He's teaching me to identify the trigger points. He's leading me to be more and more like Jesus. I used to come every week and now I'm down to every third week. But the more I keep following him, Mark, the more I keep pressing into him, the more I keep spending time with him. Now I only come about every six months because I'm learning that I found freedom. I'm learning that what I used to always give into, I now have control over. I'm learning that what I used to fall into the trap of, I'm learning now how to recognize that trap. Why? Not because he beat me over the head, not because some preacher threatened that I would go to hell if I keep this up. I'm different because I learned to listen to the Holy Spirit. He taught me how to find freedom. I'll just help you out. It's hard to find freedom when you don't understand that the Spirit of God lives in you and He will talk with you, walk with you, and and, and basically help you through life. And yet churches are filled with people that go, I'm clueless to that. I don't even know what you're talking about. Nobody's ever told me that that's what it's about. I've just always been told, come to Jesus, say this prayer, ask him into your heart, and then good luck. Oh, try to read your Bible, and please keep coming back to church. Oh, and give your money, and help us. And yet we're broken, and hurt, and confused, and 
But I want you to see how he goes on. If you'll scroll down to the bottom. I love the way he ends it at the very bottom. Verses 19 and 20. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you know what I would answer that? No, most of us don't. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It made me appreciate what my mom told me as a kid. Mark, wherever you go, he goes with you. I'll never forget one conversation. It was a pretty intimate conversation. But she said this to me. She said, son, whatever your eyes see, he sees. Whatever you do in the back of that car, he's there with you. Whatever you're doing with your girlfriend, he's there with you every single moment of every day. See, I didn't like that God. I like the God that when I was in the back seat of the car with my girlfriend was waiting out back sitting on the trunk. I like the God that would wait on me at the front row at church while I kept living my life. That Jesus fit me better. I like the Jesus that would meet me at an altar not go out in the parking lot with me. I like the Jesus that I could run to when I was hurting, not the Jesus that went with me when I was sinning. I don't like that Jesus. Because the thing about that Jesus is he convicts you right in the middle of the hell. You're right in the middle of the sin and he starts knocking on your heart going, what in the God's name are you doing? And you're like, what's that voice? It's him. He lives in you. He dwells in you. And I love what Paul said. Look, he said, don't you realize, verse 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. I love this. And was given to you by God. In other words, God himself knew you would need the Holy Spirit to be successful. And watch what he says. Oh, this hurts, man. I, I underlined it in orange in my Bible. It hurts so bad. You do not belong to yourself. <laughs> For God bought you with a high price. So honor God with your body. If honor wasn't possible with my body, why would he put that out there? It is possible to honor God. How is it possible, Mark? Everybody knows we fail. Everybody knows we're human. Everybody knows we mess up. It's just expected. So what most Christians expect today, we expect to mess up. We expect to sin. We expect to blow it time and time again because nobody stands up and goes, oh, that expectation doesn't come from God. It comes from you. God's expectation is you can be free. God's expectation is you can find glory and hope in this journey of life and honor me because I bought you and I gave you my spirit. So now I want you to go to Galatians 5. Because our Bible reading this week is going to be Galatians chapter 5 and 6. It's going to be about 40 plus verses total. But I'm going to read it and then make a comment at the end. So follow along if you will. I'm in a New Living Translation. It'll come on the screen. And I want you to do what we do every week. I want you to just let the Bible talk to you. I want you to let it speak to your life right now where you are. And then I'm going to make a comment about how it works practically. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Well, come on, let that just soak in. <laughs> oh, I'm going to read that again. Then I want you to shout whether you're Pentecostal or not, right? So Christ has truly set us free. Yeah. 
Right, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Say that. It's possible. Yeah, I need that to soak in. Now make sure you stay free. Come on now. I've blown that line. Make sure you stay free. In other words, even though he's freed you, it's possible to shrink back and get bound again. I'm going to teach you how to make sure you stay free. And don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. In other words, in trying to do it your own effort. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, anytime you read circumcision, that's religious stuff to make you right with God. Then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the the five books there. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. But, listen, we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who held you back from following the truth? In other words, people can trip you up. It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. Come on. Let me read it again. It certainly isn't God. He called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you've been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That was me. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before... That anyone living that sort of life won't inherit the kingdom of God. But, thank God for hope. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. 
Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Chapter 6, just a few verses in. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, all right, listen carefully, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. We've blown that one. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, you obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I'll leave it there and let it just soak a minute. But here's what he teaches me. He teaches me that the only hope is to know the Spirit of God. Otherwise, I'm going to fall consistently every time and fail. But he alludes to this in this passage. It is truly a fight. It is a battle that wages daily sometimes. That I have to daily fight what Mark would want to do versus what God in me chooses to do. And he calls it a battle between my sinful nature and my changed nature. And he says they fight and war against each other. But I love how he leaves me hope by trusting the Spirit of God. But he doesn't just stop me there. He leaves me hope by bringing me into chapter 6 and said, Oh, let me help you here. You people that are mature, you need to help the ones that are struggling. Not put them down, not condemn them, not point a finger in their face. You mature people. In other words, he assumes and alludes that the longer you serve God, you should have grown up enough that you've dealt with your own problems and now you can help other people overcome theirs. The goal of community is to understand not one person in this room, me included, can do it by ourselves because those of us that still struggle, still come to the altar, there's no condemnation to you But I would tell you, you might want to enlist a mature person and say, look, I am addicted to porn and I need somebody to help me. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to meds. I'm addicted to whatever. And I need somebody to help me because I keep running back to that thing all the time. Every time I, I find myself hurting, I run back to that habit. And Paul says, well, look, here's how we do it. We don't do it by putting each other down. We don't do it by saying, well, God help you. There's no hope for you. We do it by the mature people going, God use me to help somebody else find freedom. Do you understand? God wants to use you to help other people find freedom. So what do I do if I'm the devil? I will never let you help anyone else find freedom because I've got you to believe the lie that freedom is not possible for you. So you spend your whole Christian life trying just to fix yourself. And you really can't ever help other people because you yourself know it's not really that possible. And so what Paul is teaching me as a witness of Jesus, here it is. Number one, freedom is expected. Number two, freedom is possible. Number three, freedom is a fight that you have to fight daily or you will revert back to doing what you're really accustomed to doing. Meaning you can't just come to church for 45 minutes and then walk out the door and never spend time with God again. 
and expect that the battle is going to go well in your favor. This is why I'm trying to stir us up to read our Bible daily. Not so you can be pious and religious, but so that you'll fight better during the week. You'll be stronger during the week. You'll, you'll have more faith during the week. Because a lot of Christians just come and listen to a sermon, and then we go back out, and by Tuesday, man, the war is so deep, I'm back into my same old habits, my same old problems. So number one, freedom is expected. Freedom is possible. Freedom is a fight that you must fight daily. And number four, you need to enlist somebody mature to help you. So if you're here and you have problems, you can come to me. If you're a guy, I will help you. I will not point a finger at you. I will not throat punch you. I will not think any different. I'll just say I'll help you any way I can. I, you can call me at midnight. I'll give you my cell phone number. I don't care. Some of you older, mature men, the Bible wants you to step up to the plate and teach some of these younger men how to live free. Ladies, the same way some of you mature ladies, God calls you to speak to some of these younger women who don't know how to live a free life. Don't believe the lie that freedom is not possible. So this week, I want to challenge you, and we'll be posting the videos and the worksheets, Galatians chapter 5 and 6, and as you read it, I want you to read it with the expectation, freedom is expected, freedom is possible, freedom is a warfare, and I'm going to find freedom. And then I want you, I don't know how this would work practically for you, but I want you to pray about God put somebody in my life that can help me grow up. Give me somebody that can help me through this fight. And, and I said this, I'll end with this. A lot of times we Christians don't like to do that because we've done such a poor job in the past. Because when you come and say, I'm broken, the condemnation, the guilt, the, you know, we gossip, we talk about you. And I just want to say this. I don't know about every other Christian on the planet, but I know at 2981 Bomar Road, I don't care what you struggle with. I don't care if you're an addict, a porn addict. I don't care if you're an abuser. and I don't care what you are. I don't care if you're a homosexual, lesbian, prostitute. I don't care. I believe Jesus is big enough to bring you freedom. I'm not going to put you down. I'm not going to make you feel bad about your past. I'm not going to make you feel dirty. I'm just going to say this house we're trying to build here is a safe place to bring your junk to Jesus. But when you bring that junk and he forgives you, I do hope you walk out the door going, hey, I can be free. I can live free. And, I want, and what I want to do is not just put butts in the seat. Like the more people, the more famous we become. I want to grow you up, not just grow the church. Because I know if we don't grow up, we can't help other people find freedom. So if you've grown up a little bit, if you found an ounce of freedom, if you found a half, half a pound of freedom, then at least be bold enough to kind of push somebody else that it's possible to. And if you're like me, you keep coming back weekly, 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 and you seem to can't come talk to me or Robin or one of our other leaders or find somebody you trust and say, I don't want to live that way. Help me know the Holy Spirit. Help me know how to live that, and, and we'll do the best we can do. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to bless you in prayer. I want to ask you this week to take the challenge that we've all have taken is just to read Galatians 5 and 6 every day. I think it's 48 verses. It would take you about three to five minutes. 
But every day just read it. God, speak to me as I read it. Teach me. We post videos on our Facebook page, our care page, where you can kind of study deeper. But I'm hearing so many people say, as as I'm doing this, I'm finding freedom for myself. As I'm reading the Bible, I'm learning more and more about things that I can God wants out of me. Man, that's the greatest challenge we can take as we go today to our 50 feet, to own the 50 feet, the place God's put you to work, that you will live a free life and you will bring hope to other people. If you're here today and you're struggling and you're one of those that just, man, I'm struggling to find freedom, I want you to come up after the service is over and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. We've got other people that will be here. Our prayer teams will be here at the end to pray with you. After Robin dismisses you in a minute, to just stand with you, to put our faith with you, and be bold about it. And we'll, we'll, we'll put our faith with you. I love you. I bless you. Have a great day. Here's Robin. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 